I invite you to find Luke 8 in your Bible. Luke chapter 8. It's the desire of our heart to become mature disciples of Jesus. Disciples who follow him, look like him, worship him, depend on him, speak to others about him. Most of all, abide in him. That's why we pay so much attention to what he has said. Um, We believe that he is the son of God and the only redeemer, the only savior from sin. He's the risen, reigning, and coming king, and we love him. And we have more of his teaching before us this morning. As we start Luke chapter 8, the passage that we're going to take this morning is a longer passage. It starts in verse 1, it ends in verse 21. That's a lot of verses, but understand this is the thing that will help us get our minds around it initially before we read it, is that the concept that ties the whole passage together is the concept of hearing Hearing is mentioned in verse 8. It's mentioned again in verse 10 and again in verse 12 and in 13 and in 14 and in 15 and in 18 and in 21. And so as we read through, just let your eyes and your mind take notice of those points where he mentions hearing. The conclusion that we have to draw is that there's some, there must be something really important that we need to understand about how we hear, okay? So that's, that's what we're after today. What do we need to know regarding this concept of hearing? Luke 8, beginning in verse 1. If you're able to stand in honor of God and his word, let's stand for the reading of the word. It is an extended passage, and if you'd be more comfortable seated, please feel free to do that. This is the Gospel of Luke, um, chapter 8. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. There's our high-level concept for the Gospel of Luke, right? Kingdom of God. There it is, right at the outset. Proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, 
But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Father, we want to be good hearers. We ask you to show us what that means and how we do it. So I I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are gathered around the teaching of your son, that you, by means of the Holy Spirit, would impress this upon our hearts in such a way that we would leave changed and uh, we might grow in this area today. Thank you for appointing this day for us to be together and learn about these things. And uh, we submit ourselves to you with open hearts now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. We notice that as Jesus moves through the cities and villages on his way, that the crowds are increasing around him. That point is emphasized in verse 4. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, So what's being emphasized is the the largeness of the gathering. A a huge crowd is gathering as he moves from cities and villages, and a large crowd is gathering. Jesus is the focal point, right? Everyone is there because of him. He is the focal point. They're gathering around him. They're going where he's going, to see him, be near him, hear him. What's he going to do with this large, excited crowd? Let's notice the three things that that he does with this huge gathering. First of all, Jesus redirects their attention to self-examination. That's what happens in verses 1 through 14. Everyone's focusing on him, and he redirects their attention to themselves by means of this parable. Jesus likens himself and his message about the kingdom of God to a sower who's sowing seed. 
That, that's the comparison that he makes for himself. What I'm doing, my message, I'm giving out my message. It's like a sower, sowing the message of the kingdom of God. Now, understand, the sower is good. He is the son of God. The seed is good. It is the word of God. The sower is good. The seed is good. The only variable in this whole situation is what kind of home the seed finds when it lands. Does it land in an agreeable place to grow? Does it land in soft soil or on hard pavement? Does it try to grow on a rock or among thorns or in some kind of healthier place. And so all of those different places where the seed can land represents the different responses of people to the word of God. So the listener is forced to ask the question, the one who's listening to Jesus is forced to self-examine and ask the question, what kind of landing place am I? What is, what is my heart like when the word of God lands on me, comes to me, is preached to me? What happens? Is it immediately dismissed? Is it received well initially and then forgotten and abandoned when trials or temptations come? Or On the contrary, am I gathering it in? Am I embracing it? Am I treasuring it? Am I reminding myself of it and putting it into practice? Well, what about you? What what is happening when the word of God lands on you? That's a form of self-examination. Okay, we do a lot of hearing in church, right? That the majority of our time when, when we gather to worship is given to listening, what you're doing right now, hearing, sitting under the teaching of the word of God. We do a lot of hearing in church. And not only during this hour, but throughout the week, you listen to other teaching of the word of God. You read the word for yourself. We Listen to the word. How many sermons have you heard in, in your life? We listen, we hear. A sermon is a proclamation of the word of God and an exhortation to believe it and obey it. And we do a lot of hearing in church every week. And the question is, what are we doing with that proclamation of the word? And over the years, we can build up some bad habits in the matter of hearing the word, myself included, myself especially. We hear a sermon, we hear a proclamation of the word, and we're likely to examine everything except ourselves. We love to examine the message. We ask questions like, did I like it? Did I find it believable? Did I find the message palatable? Was it on a topic that I enjoyed? 
Did it hold my attention? Was it presented well or was it presented poorly? Was it too long or was it too short? Were there too many illustrations or not enough illustrations? One thing we can do is become professional examiners of the message and evaluators of the message. Now, you know, we understand. To be fair, we have to examine and evaluate the message to an extent. We have to examine it and evaluate the message for biblical fidelity, right? We have to do some level of examination of the message because every person who's not Jesus is a fallible teacher. Only Jesus is infallible. And so we have to examine a message to see if it's faithful, faithful to the, the scriptures. The problem comes if we only examine the message. If we stop there. We love to examine the message. We love to examine the messenger. We ask questions like, did I like him? Did I enjoy him? Is he good at what he does? We examine the message and we also examine the messenger. Does someone else do it better than him? Does he need to improve in this or that area? Does he have habits that are distracting? Is he too quiet or is he too loud? Is this messenger talking to me? Is he trying too hard or is he not trying hard enough? Is he too technical? Or is he too practical? Does he use too much humor or not enough humor? Or not my kind of humor? And we love to examine the messenger. And of course, the other thing we love to examine is other people. So when we hear the word of God being preached, we love to examine other people. And we, we, the word is preached to us. First thing we do is think, Oh my goodness, this would be such a good Sunday for so-and-so to be here. I sure hope they're hearing this message. Please tell me they're not on vacation this week. They really need this. Maybe, maybe this will finally be the week that I get that long-awaited apology because they're going to hear this message and finally they will repent. And we take the word of God preached to us and just immediately reflect it out to that other person who we think needs it so badly. Thank goodness they were here today and got to hear that. Just like a piece of pavement that it hits us and bounces right off of us. We reflect it off to that other person. Now listen, I do this stuff all the time. All the time. I'm the worst at this. I mean, when you go to seminary and go through preaching class, you have to evaluate other people. You have to examine the message and the messenger and write stuff down and talk about it. And those habits die hard. So no one's a greater offender than me of examining the message, examining the messenger, examining others. And the last thing we examine is the condition of our own heart. The last thing that we consider is how is the word landing on me today? In what condition is my heart? Is it in a soft, agreeable place to receive the word? Am I open and and ready to receive the, the rebuke that I need? Here are are two very simple questions that you can put in your pocket and just use every week to help us wait 
wade through all of the, the stuff that goes along with the preaching of the word. And there's, there's a lot of externals that happen, but here are two really simple questions that you can just use every week that will redirect us from focusing on other things to focusing on the condition of our own heart. So first of all, just very simply ask, what was the word of God preached to me today? What, what was the word? Yeah, I know you remember the illustrations and, and all those other things. What was the word preached to me today? Fight through everything else to get to the kernel. What was the word preached? And secondly, am I receiving it as true and good? And how am I going to put it into practice? Very, very simple. What was the word preached to me? Am I receiving it as true and good? And how will I put it into practice? Am I receiving it as true and good? Not is so-and-so receiving the word. What am I going to do with it? The seed is good. The sower is good. The only variable is the place that it lands. What kind of landing place are you It's your heart that needs to be evaluated today. As you go, as we talk about the normal sermon things after the service, just remember, it's my heart that needs evaluation. How was I at receiving the word today? So we notice first that Jesus redirects her attention to self-examination. Everyone's really excited about him. He says, look at, look at yourself, okay? Second thing he does, this is verse 15, is he admits the difficulty of hearing well. Jesus admits the difficulty of hearing well. This is verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience, okay? In other words, being a good landing spot for the word of God is hard. What Jesus advocates for here and what I'm exhorting you to, being a, a good, agreeable, soft place for the word of God to land is hard. It requires effort. There are two indicators of that in verse 15. Two indicators that it's hard. The first one we see it in the words, hold it fast. And secondly, we see bear fruit with patience. One thing that we learn through this parable of the sower and the seed is that there are lots of dangers to the word of God bearing fruit in our lives. There's all these dangers that are named. There's all these obstacles to the word taking deep root and growing in us. Satan, the devil, is an obstacle. He's an enemy to the growth of the word in us. He's always leading us toward unbelief in the word. Satan is always casting doubt on the word of God and leading us toward doubting the word. That was his strategy with Eve in the garden. It's still his strategy today. We see that here. 
in verse 12, takes it away so that they may not believe. Satan is an obstacle. He's, he's an enemy. Times of testing are obstacles. That's verse 13. Sometimes the word doesn't take root because we're going through something hard, and that causes us to doubt the truth of God's word, doubt his promises, abandon faith in him. Third obstacle we see in verse 14, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. Those are all obstacles. We know that really well. We may decide that other things are more desirable at any particular moment than holding fast to the word. And so we let go of the word. We send the word away, send Christ away because we want to latch on to a care or a pleasure in life. And so we choose other things besides God. And all of these things are opponents to the word bearing fruit in our lives. And Jesus isn't saying that those who are good soil don't face those same dangers. We certainly do face those same dangers. Temptations to doubt, temptations to leave under trial, temptations to abandon the word because of the cares, riches, pleasures of life. We face all of those things. The difference is that those who are good soil hold the word fast. There it is. They hold it fast. They cling to the word in spite of the obstacles and under duress and under the temptation to leave. We hold fast to the word and keep believing what God has spoken in spite of the obstacles and in spite of the lack of apparent results. In spite of no immediate reward. See, we bear fruit with patience. We bear fruit with patience because we don't see anything. All right, you may be clinging to the word, to some particular promise of God and trying to obey right now, trying to do all the right things. You may see no reward for it at all. And that makes it hard to continue to hear well. Hard to continue to put the word into practice. Hard to continue to believe God because we have the idea that if we do the right things and we're being obedient, that God will reward us for that. Let me put it in very practical terms. Husband decides, okay, I'm finally gonna finally gonna love my wife with Christ-like love. I'm finally going to love her right out of Ephesians 5, exactly what Ephesians 5 says, sacrificial love, I'm going to put that into practice. I'm going to deny myself so I can love her. I'm going to put that into practice, and then maybe things in our marriage will turn around. Then maybe she will love me, and things can be good again if I start practicing Ephesians 5. If I'm obedient to the word, good things will start to happen, okay? So you make the change, you, you start loving your wife like you ought to love your wife. And you're doing all these things for her. And you're putting all this effort into it. And nothing happens. 
and you're met with indifference and maybe even skepticism and animosity. Okay, now think about it. At that point, isn't it a great temptation to leave the word and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. That didn't help anything. And then you stop being obedient because there's no reward. It's not seen. But no, remember, we hold fast to the word and bear fruit with patience. See, Jesus has told us in advance what it will be like. Fruit is born with patience. It's hard. Or take another example. You finally decide to humble yourself because this this relationship, this close relationship that you have has not been good for a long time. And you finally decide to humble yourself and go to them and apologize and reconcile. Okay, right out of Matthew 5, I'm going to do what Matthew 5 says. I'm going to go and I'm going to humble myself and apologize to this person. And finally, the ice will break and the relationship will be restored. And so you do it. And you get met with rejection or more opposition or indifference. Isn't it a great temptation at that point to think holding fast to the word is of no consequence, makes no difference? Why go through that again in the future? Why go through those steps if nothing happens, if it doesn't work? No Christian, we bear fruit with patience. You see how difficult it is? What if you take up the command of Christ to live in mental and physical purity and you you say no to sexual activity in your teens and 20s because you love Jesus and you want to follow his command? What if you do that and thinking, okay, this is going to be a gift for my future spouse because I'm going to keep myself pure for them. And so you, you do it. You obey that command. You make the hard decisions. You say no. And then the spouse that you've been waiting for doesn't seem to be coming. Well, what did I go through all that for? Where's the reward? God, I did this for you because you said to. Why work so hard to obey God? Where's the reward in that? That's the last thing that Jesus addresses here. He declares the rewards of hearing well. There are two. They're in verses 16 through 21. We get into those frames of mind where we start to doubt if obedience really matters. Why am I doing this? And the last thing Jesus does, so thankful for this, is he tells us what the rewards are. Whether or not they're enough for you is for you to decide. But this is what is true. And these are the rewards of being a good hearer of the word. The first one is increasing understanding. 
That's verse 18. Increasing understanding of the ways of God. Verse 18, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Think about what's happened here in this scene, okay? Big picture. The disciples have gathered around Jesus privately and have received greater insight than the masses got. Jesus gave this parable to the masses, and then after that, the disciples gathered around him, and and they were given greater insight into the secrets of the kingdom of God. So there is special privilege, special insight for them there. And his last word to them is, take care how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. There are different interpretations of what that means. But, but I think, is my view, is that the most likely interpretation is that this is a reference to insight. This is a reference to gaining insight and understanding into the ways of God. Hearing well, holding fast to the word results in increasing understanding. Increasing insight into the ways of God the word of God, those things that Jesus calls the secrets of the kingdom. So we ask the question, what's the reward held out to me for holding fast to the word, putting the word into practice with patience? One of the rewards is increasing understanding of God in his ways. When we fail to practice forgiveness... We fail to understand the God who forgives. When we fail to practice humility, we fail to understand the God who humbled himself. When we fail to be obedient, we fail to understand and have insight into the God who became obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when we fail to live in purity and in sacrifice, we fail to understand and have insight into the God who lived in purity and in sacrifice. God, the second person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Conversely, on the other side, when we embrace the Christ-like life, we gain additional insight and have increased understanding of God, an understanding that does not come through intellectual study, but from lived experience. Reading Oswald Chambers is like exercising. It's really, really hard, but it really pays off. And I hope he's part of your diet, Oswald Chambers. On this very point, this is quoting him, the golden rule for understanding spiritually is not intellect, but obedience. If a man wants scientific knowledge, intellectual curiosity is his guide. 
But if he wants insight into what Christ teaches, he can only get it by obedience. He's right on point, as usual. If he wants insight into what Christ teaches, he can only get it by obedience. The first reward of hearing well is increasing understanding of God. Here's the second one, verse 21. Okay, increasing understanding, verse 21, privileged relationship. Privileged relationship. Backing up to verse 20, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. One of the rewards of hearing well, being someone who receives the word and puts it into practice, one of the rewards of that, hearing well, putting it into practice, is closeness of relationship with Jesus. Privileged relationship with Jesus. He says, in effect, here, those who are closest to me are not my physical mother and brothers. My closest relationships are with those who hear the word of God and do it, okay? Let's stop and be very, very careful and specific here. Jesus is promising closeness of relationship to those who hear well. Don't forget, brothers and sisters, knowing Christ is the treasure in the kingdom of God. Closeness of relationship with Christ is the treasure. It is the reward in this kingdom. It's the payoff. It's the goal. It's the pinnacle. It's the point. It's the mission. It's the treasure, knowing him. And it comes by hearing the word of God and doing it. So when you sacrifice for your spouse and see nothing, when you seek to reconcile and humble yourself before that other person and see nothing and when you fight for holiness and purity and you resist temptation and you see nothing remember the reward is not receiving something from Christ the reward is knowing Christ in the process. Christ, the one who sacrifices for an ungrateful bride. Christ, the one who humbled himself and was only mocked for it. Christ, our champion, who resisted the devil at every turn and kept entrusting himself to God. Your reward is the greatest reward that anyone could hope for. That you understand and know God. Those are the two things that Jesus holds out to those who hear well. That you understand and know God. The very last thing that we want to do is notice the congruence between the Old Testament and the New. And remember that at Jeremiah 9.24... The Lord spoke to Jeremiah and said, the only thing worth boasting about, that him who boasts, boasts in this, 
some of you remember. Boast in the fact that he understands and knows me. Same thing. That's the reward. Jeremiah 9, 24, let the one who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. So take care then how you hear the word of God. Hear it in such a way as to hold it fast and be patient in watching for fruit and expect the rewards of increasing understanding and knowing Christ very, very well. We don't obey God to earn his favor. We obey God to draw near to his son. His son who fundamentally and missionally was the one who heard the word of God and did it perfectly. And this is how we know him. Amen. Lord, uh, along with all these others, I entrust myself uh, to you and to the Holy Spirit's care. that in these moments, the, the word that we have received would be allowed to, to sink into the soil and take root. That we've heard how good it is to hear and do and the great rewards that are promised to those who hear your word and do it. We acknowledge, we crave these rewards of understanding you and and knowing you. But we also acknowledge how difficult it is and all the obstacles we face. What a comfort to know that Jesus acknowledged those obstacles. He acknowledged them ahead of time. He knows that they're there. So having received all these things and with, with good and honest hearts, we receive them with the best of intentions. And pray now that you would fulfill by your spirit our every resolve to walk in your ways. For Jesus' glory we ask in his holy name. Amen.